Well, God's at work. You'll find um, echoes of what's already been expressed in our worship, I trust, in what I want to share this morning. God wants to reinforce some things to us this morning. And it's for our confidence, for our encouragement, for our sense of purpose and hope uh, in all his plans that he has for us. Uh, As you can see from your notes that we're still in our series, well, God's at work, our series on our purpose statement. And uh, if you're a regular here, you'll know all about that. And uh, I think we're almost coming to the end of it for the time being. Uh, But it's something that we will need to return to from time to time. It's very important that we keep on focusing on that so that when people say, well, what's your church about? How how would you express uh, your purpose, God's purpose for you? Then we've got a ready answer for that. And I think it's it's not the only way of expressing it, as we said, but I think it's really helpful. And I trust that it's something that's now imprinted on your mind. <laughs> and, um, of course, the end of it is on his mission for his glory. And uh, we've had already had three sermons on his glory, uh, not from me, but from others, from David and from Steve. Uh, and you'll find I will be giving some echoes of those um, during this time, a, a little bit of a summary in one sense, before I, I, I trust we'll move on to something Um, that has perhaps not been expressed so far. And in fact, it is a a very important way that uh, Jesus and the New Testament writers said that believers in him would express God's glory. Now there's a a hymn that some of you will know, God is working his purpose out Mm -hmm. as year succeeds to year. God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near. Nearer and nearer draws the time and the time that shall surely be when the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What do you think about that? What, what's that going to look like? The earth being filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Does that mean everything will be shining? Uh, everything will be glowing? Uh, what do you think about it? I'm sure you, many of you have sung that time and time again. What, what's in your minds? What do you think about when you think about those words? Well, let's ask God to help us. Father God, we thank you. Father, we thank you that we know that we're here for your glory. We know that everything you do, everything you've made, everything you've said, everything you've determined is for your glory. And Lord, we want to be part of that. Lord, we want to enter into that. We want to enter into that in its fullness. Uh, Father, because as you are glorified, then we are lifted up. We are blessed. And so, Father, will you help us again by your spirit to understand your truth and to apply it to our lives. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, my first statement there, God's ultimate purpose is to fill the earth with his glory. We can express God's purpose in different ways. The Bible does. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that God's purpose is to bring all things under one head, even Jesus. So he will be seen uh, as Lord of all creation, everything, all things. Anything we can see, anything we don't see that exists, they will all be brought under Jesus um, for his, his glory and so on. But clearly this is one of the purposes 
that is expressed in the scripture. And if you're struggling to think, well, what does this look like? What will the earth be filled with the glory of God? Actually, if we look at the quotation um, that this uh, hymn is based on, you'll see that the hymn leaves out some words. And I've got it quoted here from Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled not just with the, with the glory of God, but with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And you see the significance of the difference. Knowledge requires people. You know, God could fill the earth with his glory and not involve people. But knowledge involves people. And so it's people's knowledge of the glory of God that will fill the earth. Knowing who God is, how splendid, how wonderful, how glorious, uh, and all those, those wonderful superlatives we can bring about God. That knowledge of God will fill the earth one day. I think that helps me understand that. I'm now not looking for shining mountains and you know, glowing this, that and the other. I'm looking for people who are saturated with God, people who are so taken up with him and his glory and it fills the earth. And we get a little bit of an idea about what that's like when you read the last book in the Bible, book of Revelation, particularly chapters 21 and 22, which talks about the new heavens and the new earth where only righteousness dwells, where there's no pain or sickness or anything like that. And it says that God is in the midst of his people. He is the light. God is the light of his people. And you get a little bit of an idea as to what that might be. God is the glory of, and dwelling among his people. God and his people are one. And this is what I believe that the, the psalmist uh, or the, the, the prophet Habakkuk uh, was looking towards that special time. And God's glory is not just for himself. It is for himself because God is worthy of all that glory. But it's for the enjoyment of all people. When God is revealed in his majesty and glory and when we're in relationship with him, it's for our total joy and satisfaction. That's why God does it. And of course we're on a mission to see that happen. Part of our mission, if you like, is to see the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth. That's what we're coming to bring with the mission. And um, as John Piper has said, and many people quote this now, mission exists because worship doesn't. Right? When everybody worships God and gives him glory for who he is and what he's done, then mission will be no more. We don't need any more mission. Now, as I say, I want to eventually come on to an aspect of God's believers expressing his glory um, in a particular way. But first of all, I just want to review some of the things that have been touched on already under this heading. And, and look at the way God has chosen to reveal himself and his glory. I've said it many times, but I think it's so important that we only know about God what he has chosen to reveal about himself. Our feeble sinful minds cannot work out what God is like and come to a proper truthful conclusion. Only what God reveals to himself. So how has God revealed his glory um, through the ages? Well first of all I've got, I've got three points. Creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. If we have eyes to see, that's what we see. I don't know about you but when I'm out there um, just looking at the things that God has made I've been privileged to go to different countries from time to time 
and just the wonder of what God has made. And it, it causes me to glorify God. Sadly, people in their darkened understanding do not worship him and do not glorify him. And, and uh, Paul, at the beginning of Romans, says this, that they fail to worship the creator. They worship created things rather than the creator himself who is ever to be praised. And it's so, it's so, so sad. And we're in a, an age, and it's especially this year with um, the celebration of Charles Darwin, that people worship evolution. You know, they look at these things and they stick e- the word evolution onto every, almost every statement uh, about the created uh, world. And it, I think it's so terribly sad because much of it is built on myth. It really is. Much of what they, they hold to. They do not see the glory of God. But that's how God has, has purposed to reveal himself if we have eyes to see. And then secondly, power to deliver his people from their enemies. Again, knowing about God, most of what we know about God is through the Jewish people, through the Jewish race, and um, through the descendants of Abraham, how God has dealt with this people that he set aside for himself, this special people that he set aside for himself. And we learn about God in the way that he deals with them. And we know that his mighty, de- mighty deliverance, which Jews continue to celebrate, is their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And... Uh, and, and they would celebrate that um, uh, and, uh, every year. And it, it's a milestone in their history. And of course, it was amazing. God did amazing things, awesome things. Both the miracles that took place while they were still in Egypt and then the things that happened afterwards, particularly when the Red Sea parted, the people passed over or passed through, and then the seas closed again uh, on their enemies and totally destroyed them. And the people were totally amazed and overjoyed by that. And when they're there on the bank, having been delivered by God, then uh, there is recorded in Exodus 15, the song of Moses and Miriam. Lovely, beautiful song. And in the middle of that, it says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? So they understood that this was an awesome, awesome God. And then... Later on, as in their wanderings through the wilderness, we see other awe-inspiring manifestations of God. We see that as they were travelling, by the day, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel day or night. What a mighty thing that was! What they must, how amazing that would have been to the people, knowing that God was leading them by this awesome manifestation. And also, of course, when um, the, the law was given on Mount Sinai to, to Moses, uh, that was um, accompanied by just awesome circumstances. I just read it from Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood in front of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of a trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Goodness knows what the people felt about that but they knew that God was a powerful awesome God and then of course um, 
with the construction of the tabernacle, this place of worship that went with them, like a tent that they took down and, and uh, erected everywhere they, they went and stopped, uh, we find that God met with them there and expressed his glory. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And that was again repeated when David desired to have a permanent building for God, a permanent place to worship God in the temple. And when that was consecrated, the temple was filled with a cloud so that the priest couldn't minister. So there are very obvious physical manifestations of God's glory that we read about in the Old Testament. But I want to suggest to you that with the birth of Jesus, this heralded a change in the way that God manifested himself. Now there were still signs and wonders in the life of Jesus and there are still signs and wonders in the life of the church. But there's a radical change. And uh, last week David uh, mentioned about uh, the, the glory that was announced by the angels at Jesus' birth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. I'm sure there was glory to God in the highest, that God was being praised by the angels, God was praised by these frightened shepherds, but there wasn't much glory around but with the birth of Jesus, was there? Not what we would think about glory, being born in such humble circumstances, laid in an animal feeding trough, um, uh, uh, threatened uh, by the ruler of the day. Uh, you know, if Jesus had been born, born in a, a magnificent um, palace, then you would understand it, but he wasn't. He was born in very, very humble circumstances. But there's a little bit of a clue here in what the angels said. It says, peace on earth to men on whom his favour rests. And uh, I just want to signal here that it's God's favour that is displaying his glory in this new age that we're in, this age of the church, the age of the spirit. It's God's favour, God's undeserved favour. And we have a word for it, which is grace. And it's been mentioned you know, repeatedly this morning. Praise God, it has. So here's a clue. But we get more understanding of that as we see what the, the, the gospel writers begin to say about Jesus. And so right at the beginning of John's gospel, we have the glorious Son of God becoming a human being. This Jesus who shared all the glory with the Father. He says it at the end of his, his life. You know, glorify me, Father, with the glory I had with you before the world began. But God in his condescension has, as it were, compressed this glory into a little baby and a man who grew up um, in an ordinary family but then was revealed to be the Son of God. And so John writes, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the glory of God now is being manifest through flesh not particularly through thunder and lightning and awesome deeds particularly, but through human flesh. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now as I said earlier, yes, Jesus did perform miraculous signs. He did miraculous things uh, in his day. And in fact, a little bit later in John's Gospel, chapter 2, we read this. This was the occasion when Jesus turned water into wine. 
This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. He revealed his glory to his disciples. Jesus performed many miracles. There were those who did not see his glory. They did not understand them. They criticized them. They called him a demon. They called him all sorts of things because of the things that he did. It was only to those whose minds were open that they could see this kind of glory. But it says, full of grace and truth. And that's that's the key. For the law was given through Moses, and I've added here, with miraculous displays of power. That's how the law came. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, as David mentioned last week, a humble servant. In his humility, in his humbleness, in his servanthood, Jesus is revealing the glory of God. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen the God but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So I just want to look at, briefly look at truth and grace here. First of all, truth. As David said last week, in his life, in what he said and what he did, he displayed what God was like. And he displayed the glory of God. Jesus was able to say, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. But it was veiled in fresh flesh, the glory of God was veiled in flesh. And at the end of his life um, on earth, as he was praying that prayer that we find in John 17, Jesus was able to confirm that he'd done what he'd come to do. This is to my... Sorry. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus, living out who he was, the Son of God, brought glory to the Father. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians it says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As I said, there were those who did not recognise him. John makes that quite clear at the beginning of his gospel. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They didn't recognise him. But God has shone in the hearts of many people to show them the glory of of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is our privilege. God has opened our minds. He's opened our hearts. He's revealed his son to us. And we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's full of grace and truth. In this church we make much of God's grace and it's right that we should do. Uh, It's so, so important. And grace, the working of God's grace in in the lives of believers was to be the chief way that God would be glorified through them. Okay, we'll hang on to that because we'll come to what, what we mean by that. But just make that. It, it's the way God has chosen to save people and to bring them to himself through his grace is the way that he is most glorified in the lives of believers. So we remind ourselves, we're living life Jesus' way uh, and it means that we're all on a mission. We're all on his mission. In the modern church, because some people are called missionaries and some people are clearly on a mission, that we tend to segregate that and we say, well, yes, they're a missionary. And we had Maxine here a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, Sundays ago, and very clearly she's been set aside for a, in a, a very exciting work of mission. 
And that's clearly quite right. That's God's gifting for her, and she's fulfilling it. But we're all on a mission. We must understand that. We are all witnesses. We're all part of this, this movement that is, that is destined to bring glory to God throughout the whole earth as people have a knowledge of him. We take the knowledge of God through, through the gospel. So it's very, very important. So we just have to ask ourselves, how are we to bring him glory? Now, as I said, this has been covered in some ways by, by others over the last few weeks, but I just want to re- recap a little bit. I'm not going to go over everything they've said. But um, Steve spoke to us from John chapter 15, the illustration that Jesus uses of the vine, that we are to, to be branches in the vine and that, um, that we are to abide in him. And it, through that, we bear fruit and bring, bring glory to God. And if you were here, I wasn't here, but I've seen the notes. Um, Steve talked about God's fruity people. Are you God's fruity people? Is that, you remember that? I thought that was a very good illustration. But lives characterised by the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. That's love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, patience and so on. Right? Also, winning others for Christ is part of the fruit of our lives that brings glory to God. Growth in holiness and obedience, giving generously, serving, and bringing praise to God. We've done that this morning. We've lifted up God's name. And I believe God has been glorified by the fruit of our lips this morning. The things that we've declared about him. The truth that we've expressed. So that's one thing. And secondly, giving God our best. Doing all for his glory. And David alluded to this last week. I think this is what we as human beings naturally gravitate to. Let, what can I do for God? Um, I'd like to bring some glory to God. So what, what can I do for God that will bring him glory? We like to be doers, don't we, of things and, and so on. And um, what we, I think we'll see is from the scriptures that I'm going to read you that are printed out here, it's more about our motivation, um, I think, than our doing. And uh, that's uh, particularly important. Here's what, what Peter says. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So here is what we do is what God enables us to do. It's by his power. It's the words he gives us. It's the strength he gives us. Why is that? So that he gets the glory. He gets the praise. And then in 1 Corinthians, if you can think back to when we were going through 1 Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do you remember the context? It was about Paul talking about meat offered to idols in the marketplace. He said, I'm free. I can eat this. It doesn't bother my conscience at all. Idols are nothing. It doesn't mean anything to me at all. It's not a problem. But, he said, if it troubles your brother if his conscience is troubled by it then don't eat it don't eat it for the sake of your brother and so there's a higher law at work here the law of love and if we do things out of love for our brothers and sisters not because we just have freedom to do something then we bring glory to God so if you turn over 
The Apostle Paul accomplished amazing things for God, didn't he? What, what the legacy that, that, that has been left us through what Paul's teaching, through his travels, uh, all around the, the known world at that time, around the Roman Empire, uh, into, into uh, Asia, planting churches, putting up with all sorts of things. What, what did Paul put up with? You know, beatings, lashings, stonings, left for dead, you know, imprisonment, you know, uh, um, shipwreck. You could just go through all those things. You know, and you could say, he's really worked his socks off for God, this man. Um, he deserves a bit of um, recognition for this, but not Paul. In all that Paul accomplished for Jesus, he was at pains to give him the glory. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. I won't, I won't talk about things that are about me. I want to talk about Jesus and what he's done. And he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, that the grace that saved him continued to work in his life. He recognised that the, it was the grace of God that enabled him to do the things that he was doing, not just to save him. He says, no, I worked harder than all men, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. I don't know about you, but I, I'm sure I don't know my heart fully, but sometimes um, I'm aware of some deceitful things that go on in my heart, in my life, and I'm aware that over the years that uh, I've used conversations to kind of to bring people's focus onto what I've done, just so that they know that I've done some things, you know, for God, and so on. And you know, I, I, it struck me afterwards, and it just horrifies me, you know, that that rather than give the glory to God, I've been it's very subtly. People may not have noticed, but very subtly, I was steering the conversation so that people would understand that, well, I've done, yeah, John, he's a great guy, he's done some things for God, you know. How terrible, really. Um, that didn't bring glory to God at all, did it? Not at all, not at all. As I said, we like to do things for people, and uh, we like to do things for God. We think it's what we do is most important. Um, we have, around this country, many, many cathedrals uh, and ancient churches uh, that the people, I'm sure, would have said they built them for the glory of God. That the stonemasons that worked on it, um, it would have been a labour of love for the glory of God. And they, they now stand as that kind of monument. But I, I don't know, when you, when you look at cathedrals now, how much glory does God get um, for our magnificent cathedrals? I'm not knocking them as wonderful buildings, but how much glory... How, the millions of people that pass through Canterbury Cathedral, how many of them give glory to God for the structures? I mean, it, somebody once called it a war museum, you know, but there's all sorts of things in there, effigies of people, uh, there are plaques on the wall, there are all sorts of things. And very often in churches you get a, a plaque in memory of somebody and they usually condescendingly say, um, to the glory of God, in memory of so-and-so, to the glory of God. I often think it's more like in memory of God to the glory of whoever it was on there, you know. But, uh, but, but God is not over-interested in those kind of things that we do for him in that sense. He's looking 
at our hearts. And that's so, so important. So, lives, uh, living lives that bring glory to God is not principally about what we do for God, but how we receive what he has done for us. Okay? I'm not saying we don't do things for God. I'm sure we all want to give our very best in the things that we do as we serve in the church, as we serve people in the community. We recognise that we are representing God in various ways. And we want to give it our best shot. We want to do things wholeheartedly. We want to do things well because we believe that brings glory to God. But the principal way God has chosen to bring glory to himself is about what he has done for us. Our salvation is designed, it's, that very thing is designed to bring glory to God. And this is the foundation of, of our lives lived in that way. So we're just going to look at um, some scriptures. Already, already read, uh, not this one, but a little bit later, there's a scripture that's already been read to us this morning. But, so let's look at this. God's plan of salvation. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It was God's delight to save people, to make them his sons. And he did it by choosing them before the world began. Choosing them before the world began. And it was God's plan and desire that we should be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Now, all of this is God's work. It's God's work. We can't contribute much to this. We can cooperate, but we can't contribute anything to this. And it goes on to say, it was for his pleasure and will, and what was it to be? To the praise of his glorious grace. God's grace being praised in this day and age is the chief way that God brings glory to himself, which he he has freely given us in the one he loves. And now the scripture that's already been quoted. For it is by grace you have been saved, that is God's gracious gift to us, undeserved favour, through faith, which is the channel we receive God's grace. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If we could boast in salvation, God would not get the glory. And God is determined to get the glory because ultimately it will be to to our pleasure and our great enjoyment in the age to come. But God is determined to get the glory. So this is all his work. Everything about our salvation is his work. The only thing we can contribute is our sin. And I'll mention that very briefly at the end. But actually, that's all we can bring to it. Our salvation is our sin. So it's all of God's work. So by faith, we receive benefit from God, which only he can provide. By acknowledging our helplessness, that's our total inability to save ourselves, and joyfully receiving God's gift, we magnify him. So joyfully receiving it, not thinking I must add something to it no joyfully receiving it because we are totally helpless we're like drowning people okay and we can't save ourselves receiving it joyfully 
actually magnifies God. It gives him glory. Now, gratitude with thanksgiving and praise is a right response, and it honours God. That will be our natural response. God, thank you. And our worship has included thanksgiving this morning for all that God has done for us. That's quite appropriate. We give thanks to God. We are grateful. We're full of gratitude. But we have to be careful of what has been termed the debtor's ethic, which robs God of his glory. And it goes like this. Because you've done something good for me, I feel indebted to do something good for you. We're a bit like this as human beings. Okay, It's very hard to receive things from people, isn't it, without feeling that we owe them something. Like somebody invites us round for a meal and we think, I better take them a present. I better, I better, find, I better whip down to Sainsbury's quick now I'm not, I'm not knocking that as a thing Okay, I'm just using it as an illustration but we feel terrible if we haven't found the thing that we want to take what, what are we going to take them we, no they've invited us round because they love us and they want to lavish something on us they want to bless us now actually if we think that it's currency what they're giving us and what we're giving them and they are losing the blessing you know, the, the, the thanks that we give them is diminished because we're trying to pay them back when actually they just want to give us something. You know, and this is how it is with God. Right? The Bible does say that we are in debt to God because, of our, because our sins need to be forgiven. Until our sins are, for, uh, are forgiven, we're in desperate debt to God, but does not call for our obedience as a way of repaying God for salvation. Now, sometimes we, we get into this mood and I, and I, or mode, and I think sometimes there are hymns, you know, and people, I think there's a hymn that sort of looks at Jesus on the cross and says, you know, look at what Jesus has done for you, what are you going to do for him? All right? Now, I understand that sentiment, but from God's perspective, that is not the motivation for, for living and serving God in the future. There's something else uh, that we need to look at and to see for that. You know, if you think about um, God's concern and his anger at the children of Israel, it wasn't because they weren't thankful, it was because they lacked faith in what he was asking them to do. So, you know, we've already thought about Moses up the mountain with all the fire and smoke and so on, and the people had already seen awesome works of God, they'd been delivered from slavery, they'd been, you know, had all the things provided in the desert, but Moses is away a little while. And they get a bit fidgety about that. And what do they do? They forget God and say, let's, let's build a golden calf. Come on, Aaron. You can do it. You're the goldsmith or whatever. And he says, okay, bring all your earrings and things. We'll make a golden calf. You worship that. God was obviously very angry with them and judged them. Not because they weren't thankful, but because they didn't trust him. You know, he didn't trust him. He told them he was taking them to a land that would be theirs. It would be flowing with milk and honey. It was a special place for them. They didn't trust him. It happened again when they came to the edge for the first time of the promised land. They sent spies in. Okay, and the spies came out and said, yes, great place. You know, huge fruit and everything there, wonderful produce, but, but there are giants. Mm, don't think we'll be able to deal with, deal with them. And the people got fearful uh, and they backed off and they wouldn't go in. They would not go in. And uh, you know what 
what God says to Moses is, how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of the miraculous, miraculous signs I have performed among them? He didn't say, these people aren't grateful. He said, they're not believing in me. I've told them what they're going to receive. I've told them this is the land I'm going to give them. Why don't they believe me? Why don't they trust me? So it's very important that we understand that. So, if it's not gratitude that should motivate us to live life Jesus' way for his glory, what is it? Uh, It is faith in future grace, secured by past grace. Do you understand that? That God has promised to give us all things and to lead us home. And it's secured by the grace we've already received, received in salvation. That's the down payment, as it were, for continued grace that God will perform all that he's promised. It is faith in future grace, secured by past grace. It is faith that God will fulfill all that he has promised those who belong to Jesus. All those who belong to Jesus. And uh, as I said, um, that's what uh, the, the Israelites failed to do. They failed to put faith in God's promises and that there would be grace available to fulfill all that God had promised. So as we draw to a close, I want to look at a very familiar passage uh, just to illustrate this. And it's from Romans 8, uh, verses 28-32. And I've uh, printed it out there for you and separated it for good reasons because we'll just look at these in, in, in little chunks. Romans 8 is a wonderful passage about the sons of God, no condemnation, uh, all the wonderful things that are said about us. And he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now that isn't unconditional grace, that's actually conditional grace. It's conditional on those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If that's you... If you love God and you know that you've been called according to his purpose, God, without question, is working out things for your good. In all things, he's able to bring good out of what, whatever you are experiencing. But he says, and we know. Well, how do we know? How, how can we be sure about this? Well, he mentions it later. We'll come to that. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We've we've mentioned this before this morning, but those that God had predestined, he predestined them to be like Jesus, and he will accomplish that. God will accomplish what we call sanctification, being changed into, into the likeness of Jesus, being made holy, if you like, is the work of sanctification that comes after we're saved, right? We're saved and we're justified and then God continues to work with us to begin to change us. And he says, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified, which means he declared them righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, that we are declared righteous in God's sight, we are justified in His God's sight. In God's sight, our sins are not held against us. So he just, those he called, he's justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now you might say, well, yeah, I understand the bit there. I, can, I believe that, you know, that I was chosen before the foundation of the world. Yes, I was called by the gospel. 
And yes, I realize that God is at work in my life to change me, but what about this glorified? It says, you know, has, he has also glorified. Well, it's so certain that Paul can talk about it this way. One day, as we said right at the beginning, we are going to share eternity with God and we're going to share his glory. Uh, he is going, we're, going to be, uh, we're going to know him as we are known. We're going to see, be like Jesus as we see him face to face. There's just some wonderful things that the Bible tells us. It is so sure because it's a work of God. It's a work of God's grace. It isn't up to us. Yes, we have to cooperate, and that's another subject, really. But we have to cooperate. But it's a work of God's grace. So how do we know that all these things work for good? Well, he answers it in this verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, it doesn't mean to say there won't be people against us. There were lots of people against Paul who wrote this. And they, as I said, they... They imprisoned him, they stoned him, they whipped him and all the rest of it. But you're really saying, who can prevail against us? Who can take away the love of God from us? Who can take away this grace that is available to us? No one. And then he gives us the answer why we can be confident. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Here's the logic of heaven. This is heaven's logic. If God's gone to the trouble and the pain, if you like, of giving his son to be your saviour and to save you and to justify you in his sight, to make you a son and all the things that we've read about, it's nonsense that God's not going to see you through. Of course he'll see you through. Of course he'll lead you home. Of course he'll present you before himself you know, with exceeding great joy. God will give us all things. God will give us all things so it's so so important now we could look at this future grace in all sorts of ways and we haven't got time to do that this morning in terms of how we deal with money and other things like that but I just want to touch on two things really the first is in regard to our sin actually our sin can bring glory to God you say surely not well, the sin itself does not glorify God, of course not. It's part of the fallen, fallen creation and uh, it can actually pr- prove to be a bad witness uh, to God and his ways. But the way we handle sin can bring glory to God in the way that we've been looking at this morning. When I sin, I've got some choices. First, I can be totally depressed about it. Now, I, I should grieve over it, of course. I should grieve over my sin. But I can be totally depressed about it. I can wallow in it. I can hold on to it and say how miserable I am. God can't possibly forgive me. I just go on like that. Or um, I can say, well, it's not right. I shouldn't be doing it. Um, I'm going to make a greater effort. Um, you know, Okay, God, I know I've messed it up this time, but I won't do it, won't do it next time. Um, I'm going to make a lot more effort and, and I'm going to go overcome this. I'm going to deal with it. Or we can deal with it God's way. And we can deal with it and we can glorify God's grace in it. You see, God is not glorified if I say, well, actually, God, um, I, don't, I don't need much of your grace. I'm going to work it out for myself. God's not glorified in that. But God is glorified when I say, God, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. But I recognize that you've made provision for it that your son died on the cross, that that sin could be forgiven, that that even when I sinned, I was still righteous in your sight 
because of what you did in Jesus, what you made me to be. And I recognise that that sin has been dealt with. And I offer it to you and I ask you for forgiveness and I know, I trust that I am forgiven because of your great work of grace. When I do that, God is glorified. I believe that. Because God says, yes, you've said there's no other way. You haven't looked for any other way, but you've used the provision. See, it will be to his glorious grace. At the end, it's God's grace that will be glorified. Here's another way, maybe. There are those people uh, in this fellowship, um, some that are here, some that are not here, uh, who face really grim circumstances. They live in very difficult circumstances. Uh, most of us wouldn't want to be in their circumstances Uh, and yet they still glorify God they still come here week by week and they give God praise Uh, there may be those who have faced really tragic circumstances and are are facing the days through tears but they come and they worship God and they acknowledge him as Lord and Saviour they have put their trust in future grace even though they don't know the answers There are so many questions and yet they know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We might have desired to build a cathedral to God's glory but their very presence here is to God's glory because they are are taking advantage of God's grace. They put their faith and trust in God's grace. And I believe just worshipping God under those circumstances brings great, great glory to him. More than we could possibly imagine because it's his grace that he has chosen to glorify himself through. And we need to remember that. You know, we may not be able to do spectacular things for God but we can trust him for future grace. We can believe his promises and we can trust him even when everything looks black when there seems to be no way through we trust him and he is glorified and he gives us more grace more grace I've just closed really with one of John Piper's famous sayings God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him just think about that If if you are satisfied with your wife or your husband and you express that then Aren't they blessed by that? More than perhaps doing things for them or whatever. Aren't they blessed? Well, it's true of God. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him, that he has provided everything that we need for life and godliness uh, through our knowledge of him, through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the thing that you have chosen by which to bring yourself great glory is the thing that most benefits us. Father, we could not devise this way of salvation if we we puzzled over it for a million years. But Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we praise you for your grace. Lord, we ask you that, that the sure knowledge that we are saved by grace, Lord, that we are being sanctified by grace and that we will be delivered home 
uh, in your presence by grace will encourage us and strengthen us and know that there is grace for today, grace for tomorrow and grace for the years to come. Lord, may it be to your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.